Welcome to the Journey Ahead podcast, Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. I'm Tom from Volume 1, which presents this podcast in partnership with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, with support from our sponsors, Grace Home Respiratory and All-Star Elevator in Mobility Solutions. Here's your host, Lisa Wells. I'm Lisa Wells, Dementia Care Specialist with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, and you're listening to a podcast on aging well, living with dementia, and staying active and healthy in the community. So thank you for joining us. Today, we'll discuss therapeutic interventions for people living with dementia. More than 5.8 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's disease or related dementia. Currently, there is no way to prevent it, to cure it, or slow the progression down. Physicians may prescribe medications to help with some of the symptoms. However, there are many non-pharmacological interventions that can improve or at least maintain an individual's cognitive function a little longer, enable a person to continue continue to perform daily activities, and to live well with dementia. Some of these interventions can include therapies such as music, art, pet, aromatherapy, reminiscent therapy, physical therapy, and also occupational and speech therapy. Here with us today to talk on this topic are Ann Sadowska, occupational therapy, occupational therapist, and Laura Hurd, a speech language pathologist, both from the Chippewa Valley. So thank you both for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you. So I I really think it's important to talk about this topic because I don't think a lot of people know. I don't think families understand. And I and I really don't even think some physicians don't realize, you know, just the importance and the benefits that occupational therapy and speech can do for people living with dementia. So I thought we could start, you know, with each of you kind of talking a little bit about what is the role of this type of therapy in dementia care. So Anne, why don't we start with you and talking about occupational therapy in dementia care? Yeah, so I've been an occupational therapist for over 15 years now, and I I started working in long-term care. And so I think when we talk about occupational therapy for individuals living with dementia, depends a little bit on where that individual is living. If they're living in a skilled nursing facility, in assisted living, Mm -hmm. or at home with a caregiver. And so OT's role looks a little bit different in each of those settings, but at the base level, occupational therapy works mostly on maintaining function and purposeful activity. So if you're someone with mild dementia or Alzheimer's, we may work on being able to still pay bills or to participate in cooking a meal or remembering how to um, get dressed in the morning, those types of things versus someone with more moderate to severe. We're going to look for activities that bring um, certain meanings, like things that elicit joy and happiness Mm -hmm. and those types of things. So we're really looking at that function and purposeful activity of everyday living mm-hmm. as an occupational therapist. So it looks a little bit different everywhere, but ultimately we want to keep people as independent as they want to be. Mm-hmm. And you said something interesting too. You said maintaining, so it's not necessarily like rehab. Correct. Correct. Um, I think that is confusing. And, and you had mentioned that providers oftentimes don't necessarily understand the full scope of services available mm-hmm. because we think of therapy as rehabilitative mm-hmm. when really there's a lot of remediation and uh, maintenance that can be done through therapy. And Medicare Medicare acknowledges that now that therapy does provide this added um, skilled 
level of interventions to mm-hmm. be able to maintain or modify certain activities without having that rehabilitative progress. Mm-hmm. And so there's a ton that we can do just to help people stay in their homes that I think we don't necessarily know globally as a community. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. And Laura, how about speech therapy? You know, when I talk about speech, you know, I'll be talking to a family and they'll say, oh, well, no, you know, my husband talks fine, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So they they really don't understand the full spectrum of, of speech language pathology. So can you talk a little bit about that in dementia care? Absolutely. And gosh, I could be really rich if I got a nickel for every time mm-hmm. I heard that, for mm-hmm. sure. So yeah, so in the speech therapy realm, so a lot of people just understand speech therapists as working with kids and working specifically on speech. But there's so much more that we are trained in. And really, one thing that I like to explain to people is that as a speech language pathologist, my job is really from the neck up. And so we work with everything that has to do with voice, which isn't necessarily something with dementia, but Mm -hmm. swallow related. Mm -hmm. So, you know, neck up would be swallow related. Also could be the speech side of things, but then we go further up as well into the brain and work with any of those functions and language and attention and memory and problem solving and even reading and things like that, that our brain is necessary to be able to function on a daily basis as well. Mm -hmm. And so specifically in dementia care, yes, we're definitely working, uh, especially in the early, um, a mild sort of case of dementia, uh, we're working more on those functions of memory, attention, problem solving, and, you know, just being able to, again, stay as independent mm-hmm. as long as possible uh, and maybe making some modifications to how we do things. So that way we can, say, remember where we put our keys or, you mm-hmm. know, something along those lines. Um, and then as we're going along the dementia um, the, the dementia process, then our role really changes. So kind of like what Anne was saying as well is... Uh, depending on where we are in that progress, is going to depend on what we focus on. So for a lot of individuals in the more severe dementia realm, we might not be focusing quite so much on remembering things, um, you know, more specifically, but maybe at that point in time, the swallowing is getting affected. And so we might be making some modifications or doing some changes there. Mm -hmm. But even along that that process too, you know, with with dementia and as those memories start to go, um, you know, we oftentimes work with families as well as far as like creating a life book and and helping to keep some of those memories alive, um, and that can be really really uh, soothing for a person mm-hmm. to be able to go through something mm-hmm. like that. So let's talk a little bit about that. So. You know, somebody gets a referral uh, for, you know, OT. We'll start OT and then we'll go to you, Laura. Okay. Sure, <laughs> sure. Kind of go back and forth a little bit here. Um, somebody gets a, you know, a referral for occupational therapy. You know, obviously you probably have to do some type of a in-home assessment. Um, so if, if somebody is accessing OT, let's say, you know, maybe in the early stages, what are some things 
let's talk about some things you would do in the early and maybe the middle and then maybe later. Okay. Can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we'll assume that, um, to, for someone who's living with mild, um, or new onset dementia Mm -hmm. and we get a referral for occupational therapy, um, they're community living, they live at home, uh, they have a spouse that's with them. Usually what prompts providers to initiate that referral for occupational therapy aside from families requesting it is there's been some sort of event. And so I really want to focus on what that is. So if it's someone who's just newly diagnosed with dementia and they're wanting to know how how do I stay in my home for as long as I can, um, that would typically start with a home safety eval. Mm-hmm. It lets us look at their environment. Um, One of the things that occupational therapists specialize in is that home modification, adaptation, um, activity analysis. So looking at each individual and let's say this patient, this person is home alone for eight hours a day because their spouse still works. Um, So we need to look at that environment and how can we make their home, help them make their home safe so that this person can be home alone for eight hours and maintain the level of independence that they want to for as long as they want to. So we're really looking at safety and modification to the environment um, to maintain that that home safety. Mm -hmm. But then then, like Laura was saying, looking at memory and um, those everyday things like medications, um, remembering to shower sometimes, that orienta- orientation to day and time, things that someone who's still in that mild stage wants to be able to navigate. We're going to look at compensatory strategies on how to do that, visual cues in the home. Um, you know, maybe we need to place a bigger calendar or a reminder on the door, don't forget to let the dog out, mm-hmm. or those types of things. So we're really looking at making those modifications to maintain independence. The other really important thing that happens on that evaluation piece is we um, want to know what's important to that person. So if being... Right, because you could, you could go in there and say all these things, yeah. but if it's not important to that uh, caregiver or that person living with dementia, then, you know... What yep. would be the purpose? So that's that's good to know too. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we really want to hone in on what what the the patient and the caregiver or the family or whatever their support system is. What what is what is it that they want? Is it that they want to be as independent as possible for as long as possible? Or maybe it's just really important that they are able to go to breakfast every morning together and so they want us to focus on that activity. Mm-hmm. So then we're really breaking it down to make sure that we're focusing on what's important to them and not pushing kind of our own agenda mm-hmm. on what we think they're going to need. Mm-hmm. Um, because I might be fine helping my dad get dressed every day where, um, you know, someone else might really want to be able to get dressed by themselves. So we really try to make it the most meaningful and beneficial to that family Mm -hmm. and person living with dementia in that early stage. Um, One of the other things that we do um, for someone who's early on is we do like to do some uh, functional assessments that look at cognition, so thinking, um, memory, attention, those things like what Laura was saying, but um, more in a functional context, so getting dressed, being able to Mm -hmm. locate a phone number, um, being able to dial a phone, those types of things, Um, and then establish what their baseline level is, because then that gives us an idea of how impaired and 
and what parts of their thinking are impaired to really give those recommendations the most benefit. Mm -hmm. So maybe attention is still really intact, but memory is really impacted. That's going to change our our interventions um, with that family and patient or person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so somebody accesses OT in the early stages. um, And then is that something where you would continue like weekly? Is it is it a long time? What is, from your experience, you know, in those early stages, about how long would would you see somebody? Early on, I would say it's a lot more um, consulting based. Okay. Um, so giving options and choices and creating a plan for that person and their family on how they can maintain their independence and activities that they want to. So it's not necessarily like I fell and broke my hip. And so Mm -hmm. now I'm going to have a prescribed OT three times a week to work on dressing. Mm -hmm. It's really based on what that individual's goals are and what they're hoping to get out of it. So someone who's really motivated and um, what we've tried isn't working, I might see them one or two times a week. But if it's someone that just wants that initial home safety eval with with recommendations and like a where do I go from here, that's a lot more as like a consultant. Okay. uh, just to make sure that they know what their options are and when to relook at it again is mm-hmm. a big thing. Mm-hmm. And then that's something typically that families can get in contact with you again. They don't have to go back to their physician or would they have to go back and get... Because um, I a, think the referral stuff yeah. gets a little tricky. It's a mm-hmm. little... Folks don't always understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that's a really hard question. Um, Wisconsin, for occupational therapy, we are a direct access service. And so pe- depending on the, the insurance and things like that, in some clinics do allow for that direct access where you don't need the referral, but that's not very common. And Medicare does still require that physician's order. Mm -hmm. And so depending on the occupational therapist that you're working with, for example, I saw a patient for an initial eval. Um, We did the home safety eval. They were feeling very comfortable with it. So then we just did a follow-up in one month. Mm -hmm. And because I wrote that was the plan and the physician signed off on it, they would not need to get a new order to see me. But let's say a year has gone by, Mm -hmm. then they would need a new referral from their primary care physician to OT services. Okay, Okay. sure, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Laura, how, let's talk about speech now in that early, those early stages. What, uh, you know, you get a referral, meet that family, that person. Tell me a little bit about what, what you would do. Yeah, absolutely. And as you're kind of listening to Anne as well, one thing about occupational and speech therapy is we very, very much overlap mm-hmm. um, a bit in, in what we do and, and how we focus on things. Um, and so from the, the speech realm, a lot of times in those early stages, it, it kind of just shows up as some forgetfulness mm-hmm. or, um, and, and maybe it's again, like I don't, I, I, I lose my keys all the time or I forgot to take my medications, you know, those kinds of things. And so that's really where that focus and just, you know, to kind of echo Anne, it is really about what that person really desires to work on and, mm-hmm. and you know, what part of the process is really bothering them that they're unable to figure out how to manage this part of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we very much, you know, cater to those needs and along with that, providing the family education on what's going on 
and what to expect and how they can help and how they can support their loved one. That is very, very much a part of our realm. So it's not um, just working with the individual, it's actually working with the family too. Working with the family, Mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. And by by providing some education to the caregivers or the family or whoever that might be uh, in that person's world, that can just really make everybody Mm -hmm. uh, much more at ease and Mm -hmm. understanding what's going on and not just frustrated with why is it that mom can't remember to, you know, whatever. Um, And so, yeah, so for, for us... It really is a matter of kind of doing some initial testing and Mm -hmm. figuring out, okay, what parts of the brain are working really well, what parts of the brain maybe could use a little bit of assistance. Um, And then, you know, where where do we go from there on what those compensatory strategies um, or even like Anne was saying on, you know, maybe we need to make some modifications Mm -hmm. or some reminders or, you know, now, nowadays, people are using their phones a lot more. And Mm -hmm. so maybe we're setting up, you know, alarms on their phone. Or um, I had a patient not that long ago that wanted to be able to easily call, you know, the the significant other. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, making modifications to their cell phones so Mm -hmm. that way they can use it easier, Mm -hmm. you know, those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. So yeah, those early stages, it is just a lot of just that initial of like, gosh, something has changed and it's really frustrating, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know what to do about this. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, too, if, if the people that you see, or the majority of the people that you see, are probably not in the early stages. Right. I, I, right. I got to believe that by the time you see somebody that mm-hmm. you're referred to, they're probably past that yes. early stage, and you're I, moving into... You know, middle, middle and later. End. Yep. Exactly. And yep. I love working with individuals in the early stage because we are able to talk about memory compensatory strategies mm-hmm. and learn those kinds of things. And you're absolutely right in that a lot of times that referral for me is coming through later. Um, and part of that might be, like you kind of said at the beginning, education with families, education with physicians, um, that kind of aspect on where we're able to help. But typically, once that referral comes through to me, uh, it is usually middle to later stages when it's mm-hmm. like, gosh, like we are really, really at a point where we're not, you know, we're not sure what's going on or we need a, uh, an overall assessment of where this person's brain is at. Uh, and typically there would be uh, an event like Anne was seeing where mm-hmm. maybe they did have a fall or, you know, a hip fracture or something at home um, and they're they're coming in for a rehabilitation stay uh, to figure out where things are at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that most of the OT referrals that I have seen are not truly for dementia. There's usually a symptom or something that has happened that caused the referral. So a hip fracture or a wrist fracture or uh, a general deconditioning. They ended up in the hospital because they weren't taking their medications the way they should have been because they were forgetting to or they were getting them confused or they were taking too many. Um, And so typically what I have seen in my career is that the referrals are based for some other reason and not dementia specifically. And and I, what I think is interesting about our, I don't know if it's our, as a society, our views or perspectives or stigmas with dementia, but 
you know, there can be some new learning, right? Mm -hmm. With high repetition. Absolutely. And starting that foundation early, we can preserve function for so much longer, the earlier we can start teaching those interventions Mm -hmm. and those strategies. And so I think we currently are very reactive to dementia and how we provide interventions. Um, then what we really probably should be is my experience because it's I'm never getting a referral just for dementia. Mm-hmm. So how do we get that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think, you know, instead of just, you know, if somebody goes in, they, they you know, they're given this diagnosis. It's almost like a checkbox. I mean, mm-hmm. I would I would I would hope that there would be like, you know, you should, you should check into this and do this and this and this and this. And um you know, that's why when folks come to the ADRC and, you know, I'm working with people, um, I always ask, you know, have you considered occupational therapy? Have you considered speech? And they're just kind of dumbfounded. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just really, I, you know, just listening to you both talk, I, I just see such benefits. And if we can keep people and preserve their function longer, I mean, just think about the quality of life mm-hmm. that can be so much better longer, not only for them, but also for the caregiver. Yeah, I think it's, I wish I had like a golden answer for that. Mm-hmm. And I know we've had many conversations about why isn't this more mm-hmm. available or more known. And, and we've, you know, it's difficult to get an early diet, uh, an That's early dementia right. diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. It's usually when there's a crisis of some kind, or it's so apparent that you can't not address it. And so I think, Part of that is stigma, mm-hmm. and I think that it, it's hard to diagnose someone with something that you don't know how to treat because we feel like there isn't any treatment. Mm-hmm. We, it's not curative. We don't have a cure. And so it's so hard to deliver those diagnoses. And so I think people want to make sure providers, nurse practitioners, families, patients, I think there's a reluctance to want to go down that path because then then what do we do from there? Mm-hmm. Um, which like we're talking today, there's actually quite a few things that mm-hmm. we could do so that people can have a good quality of life and a long quality of life mm-hmm. um, and and be prepared for their health care needs later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And yeah, just to kind of piggyback on that too, so much of that is, you know, things like this and that education. So, you know, just having this opportunity to speak to the community Mm -hmm. and provide that education of these services and what's available out there, um, I just think is so, so darn Mm -hmm. important for families, you know, for the medical community and and all of the above. Yeah, and, and really pushing to, you know, you know, go to the doctor if you if you've got <laughs> some memory struggles um, that's really kind of impairing your day to day living. It's yeah. it, it's like go find out because um, we know that there's other things that can cause dementia like symptoms. But it's just so important to go go get it figured out. Just like if you were if you had a pain, uh, if you broke something, you're going to go to the doctor. You're going to you're going right. to find out what's going on. And so mm-hmm. I think you're right. Just educating the community about just the importance of finding out because it could be something else. Yeah. You know, and I really find too, even to kind of piggyback on that, is when people are in their home environment, they really can cover things up pretty well, you know? (laughs) And so, you know, they might come to um, a hospital or a nursing home setting or a rehab setting and the therapist might be like, holy man, like how is this person surviving at Mm -hmm. home? 
Um, but in that home setting, you know, they're familiar, they know where everything is at, they, you know, those kinds of things. And so some of the deficits can really be masked quite, quite yes. well um, until uh, a larger event mm-hmm. happens, mm-hmm. a crisis happens. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, goodness, like, you know, things are much worse than we thought. Um, and so just recognizing it, and and I agree with Anne, you know, whether it's a stigma whether it's denial, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be. And I went through a similar situation with my mom as she was kind of declining of like, oh, goodness, like making sure that, you know, I'm in the therapy world. And so mm-hmm. making sure that I was keeping my eyes open to really like look at her objectively and be like, wow, is, you know, is this actually happening uh, or, you know, where, where are actually things with mm-hmm. her functional daily life? Right, right. Mm-hmm. One, one thing I just want to touch on um, before we move on to another questions, as we were talking and just thinking through, you know, my experiences as an occupational therapist and what I've seen, one of the biggest, I think, value added or benefits that families get from receiving, whether it's speech therapy or occupational therapy, is it just gives so much understanding for where people are at. Mm. So, you know, sometimes in those earlier stages, people can be very frustrated. They're very irritable. Mm -hmm. They get angry very easy. And so then relationships between spouses and adult children become strained Mm -hmm. or they're just, you know, that person becomes difficult because they're always defensive or are not as friendly as they once mm-hmm. were. And so I feel like when we do those evaluations and we pull apart what the what's going on, what parts of their brain are working really well, what parts aren't working really well, and, and that early stage, they're, they're aware that something right. isn't right. Mm-hmm. And so you see those really emotional responses. And at face value, it just seems like they're being difficult, but it, it really, there's something else going on. Mm-hmm. And so teaching those ways to communicate or to gently have those conversations that don't make them feel so self-conscious about their difficulty remembering or gosh mom I already told you that five times today you know like that feels really bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I feel like my biggest wins my biggest success are in that teaching of okay this is why this is happening Mm -hmm. here's some ideas on how you can better communicate or when you see this happening, it's because she's not remembering that she didn't take those medications mm-hmm. or, you know, she used to cook breakfast for you every day and now she can't remember how to cook breakfast every day. And that probably makes her feel really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so those I feel like are some of the biggest benefits that families have experienced in receiving services. Yeah, And, and you said it well when you when you said um, it's looking at and talking about um, with with families and individuals, let's talk about what's working well mm-hmm. instead of always looking at that, you know, the stuff that they can't do anymore. Because I think families a lot of times just want to focus on oh she can't do this anymore she can't do this she can't she can't and but focusing on what can she still do what mm-hmm. is still working well. We're going to have uh, some more conversation with Laura and Ann. We'll be right back in just a minute. I want to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors, All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Mobility challenges don't have to mean leaving the home that you love. All-Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions specializes in residential and commercial elevators, stairlifts, scooters, and more. 
The All-Star team offers a free home assessment, and they can help you find the products you need to get around your home and the rest of the world safely and effectively. For example, they have more than 100 scooters in stock, so you'll be sure to find one that meets your needs. You'll find All-Star right here in the Chippewa Valley on Halley Road in Chippewa Falls, and they've got locations in Hudson and La Crosse, too. Learn more by calling All-Star at 715-598-7511 or by visiting allstarmobilityllc.com or allstarelevatorllc.com. Now, back to the podcast. Well, welcome back. We're with Ann Sadowska, occupational therapist, and Laura Hurd, a speech-language pathologist. And we're talking about, you know, therapeutic interventions for people living with dementia so they can uh, maintain their independence and stay home for as long as possible. And we've talked a lot about how some of these these therapies really um, overlap with each other. So I thought maybe, Laura and Ann, if we could talk about, you know, communication strategies. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, really, uh, one big thing of communication strategies is, um, and Ann kind of mentioned this earlier, about that, that frustration that can happen when needing to repeat ourselves. Mm-hmm over and over and over again as we're talking with someone who has dementia. And so, you know, part of it can be using what what I would call whole communication strategies, where you are not only saying it, maybe you're writing it as well, um, writing down key words. So it's mm-hmm. not even writing the whole sentence, but mm-hmm. just key words. So as you're telling someone something, or maybe we're, maybe we're asking uh, what we want for dinner, Um, you know, we can give options Mm -hmm. and just write that down, um, and say, Hey, would you like coffee or tea? Writing down those two words, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and using some strategies that way to really assist with, uh, that comprehension, that understanding, as well as helping with that memory, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. maybe we just forgot that you asked Mm -hmm. whether I want coffee or tea. So having that, that visual cue as well can really help, and then also just keeping information short and sweet. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, my goodness, if you're going to give a whole long direction of, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to get up and we're going to, you know, first we're going to have breakfast and then we got to go to the doctor and then, yep. You, you, yep. oh, no, let's just break it down. We're going to go one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we're going to get up and we're going to put our socks on. Right. You know, right. that kind of communication strategy, which really can help facilitate, again, that understanding mm-hmm. for the person with dementia uh, and decrease the caregiver frustration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you brought up something, too, that's so important, you know, the ability to give options, because... I think people, they still want to have some control. Yeah, And, yes. you know, who doesn't, right? I right. mean, do you want somebody making all the decisions for you throughout life? No. And so giving them the option still. So I love that, you know, would you like, you know, a hamburger or a chicken? Would you like to wear the red dress or the blue dress? You know, mm-hmm. so they still have that feeling of control. So I, I just really like that. And I, you know, the, the saying things as well as writing them down. Um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think with those choices creates conversation. So mm-hmm. one of the things I hear is I, you know, I don't know what to talk with them about because they aren't understanding or they're getting frustrated. And so looking at those communication strategies, like Laura was talking about also helps to create conversation between spouses and children and, um, 
whoever the family member is. So Mm -hmm. it not only helps the person feel like they have control and choice, but it creates meaningful conversation Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. For sure. I picked the blue dress today. Remember when you wore this to my grandson's wedding or it just... We can pull in that memory piece, that happiness, that engagement by offering choice, which is so meaningful to everyone involved. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. for sure, for sure. One of the other things that I think um, related to communication that's really important, and I don't think we always realize that it's communication, but um, we have all heard stories or have seen stereotypes of individuals with dementia who are eloping from their homes Mm -hmm. or are their personality personalities have completely changed and they're now they used to be the nicest person and now they're so mean or mom never said a swear word in life and now she's (laughs) every other word yeah yeah um and so some of those things can be quite problematic especially when there's a safety risk like um mom is trying to leave the house and it's midnight in the dead of winter and she's in slippers and a nightgown Mm -hmm. um and so ot and speech too uh, we that's a form of communication. They don't know they need something and they don't know how to tell us what they need. Right. Mm-hmm. And so part of what we do is looking at what are they telling us that they can't tell us. So they're they're leaving. They're new to a, a memory care unit or new to an assisted living and they keep trying to leave. Well, they're in a they're scared. Mm-hmm. They're in an unfamiliar environment. So how can we make that new environment feel safe because the words you're okay here won't mean anything Mm -hmm. so we have to look at what that um, we often hear them called behaviors but I think that's so negative it is (laughs) no we don't use those words anymore no Mm -hmm. no but that I mean like when you look at hospitalizations Mm -hmm. or um, sometimes referrals that's how they're perceived but it really is their way of communicating I'm pinching and biting and hitting because I don't want to take a shower right now, but Mm -hmm. I can't tell you that's not what I want to do. Right. So understanding um, where that person's cognition is, what their ability to communicate is, and what is it that they're trying to tell us by doing those things. Mm -hmm. And so we look very deeply into that to try to figure out how do we create a situation where everyone is getting what they need. Yes, you have to bathe, but we don't want it to be traumatic. It's almost like you have to be a detective. Absolutely. Because you really do have to figure out, like you said, what could be causing them to communicate that way. Mm-hmm. Are they are they in pain? Mm-hmm. You know, are they cold? Are they tired? You know, mm-hmm. so really kind of doing some digging and investigating and something else to do. You, do you um, talk with families at all about approach? And oh, absolutely. Okay, can you you? I want to talk about that, either either one of you. We talked about choice, so that's part of it, right? You're just saying, here's your meal time. You need to eat mm-hmm. this food I just made for you, and if you don't eat it, you're going to be hungry. <laughs> At some point, though, all those words mean nothing. The time of day means nothing, and so... Um, if you're looking at meal times as my example, it might be offering snacks throughout the day versus our normal breakfast, mm-hmm. lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. It may be the approach to how we're presenting a meal time. It might be the colors of the food. They might not be able to see the food mm-hmm. on the plate. And so we're working on different strategies that way. So they might they may not realize there's food there. Mm-hmm. So that approach can be very different. Also, if you And I don't really know the best way to articulate this, but if I approach someone and I'm like, Lisa, how are you today? Would you mind going to the bathroom with me before we go? 
that's very different than, hey, let's go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that comes across much more abrasive and aggressive. And they might not understand the words that you're saying. But but the tone. But yes, Mm -hmm. they for sure understand the tone. They can tell just like anybody else can when you're feeling frustrated, Mm -hmm. it comes in our tone. And so if we can keep that calm, peaceful approach and have that flexibility and fluidity to roll with what they need at that time, it's going to change how successful whatever the task is they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that could be kind of difficult when it yes. comes to like spouses. <laughs> you know, they've been married 50 years and mm-hmm. you're telling me I've got to be calm or, yes. you know, adult children. So there it we're not saying any of this stuff is easy, right? No. I mean, this, oh, is, no. this is all difficult stuff. But And, and one part that I really find that um, families appreciate education on in, in the end and in, in the beginning, it might seem like we're lying, really. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a reality orientation versus joining their world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so with a reality orientation, you know, we're going to tell the person, no, like, you know, it's, it's Christmas, it's winter, it's whatever, you know, or gosh, you know, you're talking about your mom, she, she passed away 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. something like that, you know, where that's a reality orientation. And in, um, in an orientation where we are joining the person's world, where they're starting to talk about mom, or, you know, gardening, or whatever, and waiting for dad to get home from work, we're joining them there like, oh, gosh, you know, your dad is a hard worker, isn't mm-hmm, he? And mm-hmm, man, he is mm-hmm. such an amazing provider for you and the family and just joining them in that world. And I have a lot of family members when I explain the difference between that two uh, can really feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. because we're not bringing that person to today. They feel like they're lying. Yes, I can't, yes. I can't, I can't lie to mom or I can't right, lie to my right. husband. You and, know? and just knowing that in that dementia process, like it is okay to join them in their world and everybody's going to stay a lot more calm mm-hmm. and be able and, you know, and, and maybe not have some of those quote behaviors that, mm-hmm. that Anne was referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, as we join them in their world and what's currently going on Mm -hmm. in their brains. I love that point. I remember when I was first a therapist and I was working in skilled nursing facilities and there was um, a resident of that facility whose family member was visiting them. And the resident was wanted to know where her husband was. When is my husband coming? When is my husband coming? And the family member said, no, don't you remember? He died Mm. two years ago. And she like relived the grief of his death. And I just remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to do that. That Mm -hmm. has to be the most worst thing to have to relive every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think I think until you put yourself in that position, in that context, it's so hard to understand because we've always known them as mom or dad or my husband or my wife or, you know, my sister. So I think it is so hard to understand the how impactful that is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it can make, you know, it can make that person feel heard when you do say, oh, you know, tell me a little bit about um, or I remember when grandma used to do this or, mm-hmm. you know, instead of saying, oh, well, she died, you know, mm-hmm. obviously when they're, you know, I mean, I'm looking for my mom or, 
know, they're upset, they're um, scared. So how, you know, how can we validate their feelings? How can we validate Mm -hmm. what they're feeling Mm -hmm. so they feel heard and understood and safe? I think that's, we've mentioned that word a couple of times because they're losing, you know, they're, they're losing control Mm -hmm. in, um, you know, so how we can make them feel safe. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And, you know, to kind of go in, in a direction there as well with that validation. And and a lot of times the the long-term memories are what stay mm-hmm. intact, right? Mm-hmm. Those are those are stored in a different part of the brain than short-term memory, and they are embedded. They are deep down in there, and, and people will say, gosh, I remember everything from my childhood, mm-hmm. but I cannot remember what I had for breakfast this mm-hmm. morning. You know, that well, that's can, me right now. Right? <laughs> we'll talk about that later, yeah. later Lisa. But <laughs> yes, so, you know, that's where those life history books and things like that can come in. And mm. that can be a source of communication and a source of conversation and, and just bringing back those happy memories of all of those things that this person, this loved one of us, they know so well and they can they can articulate and tell you so much about, but maybe we don't remember, you know, what we had this morning or mm-hmm. what happened yesterday or mm-hmm. even what happened three minutes ago. Right. Um, but we can use a, a resource like that to mm-hmm. really just uh, improve that quality of life right. and that and that um, connection time. Laura, do you think that the memory book and life books are just as meaningful and impactful to the family member as it is to the person? Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. And just, you know, and also it gives it gives the family members, the loved ones, uh, some guidance Mm -hmm. on, you know, some of those things instead of, you know, there's a lot that's happening in the caring of this loved one. Um, and sometimes it's hard to to keep that focus um, and remember some of those things from from the past. But gosh, it's just it's so meaningful when you can sit down and and look through some pictures, look through some memories, and and oh my goodness, do you remember when we took this trip mm-hmm. and those kinds of things? And mm-hmm. just um, yeah, I really I feel like um, individuals who have a life history book. Um, the, you know, and the families are oftentimes involved in that. It's always, it's great to do that in the early stages because then the the person can Can be involved involved. in that Mm -hmm. as well. Um, but it also, is just super, super, Mm. uh, rewarding for everyone. Yeah. I always feel like when we've had those that it's, it's, you get to appreciate the person that they were. Mm. You remember them for all the things that you loved about them, but you're also appreciating and loving them for who they are right now. Mm. And so it's this kind of, I mean, it's therapeutic, but it's also a way of kind of grieving Mm. because they aren't the person you remember when you were 10 years old anymore, but they are still your mom today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. You know, um, just kind of wondering as we're talking, does speech and occupational therapy, would they help somebody to modify, um, let's say that, you know, I'm, I, I love to knit, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in kind of moderate stages of Alzheimer's disease and I'm just not picking up the, the knit and the pearl anymore, you know? Is there, does, do the therapies help, can they help modify hobbies, do meaningful activities? 
do they help the individual and families with things like that? Oh, absolutely. So part of that initial evaluation is understanding what's important to that Mm -hmm. patient and what brings them joy and purpose and leisure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it might be very important for the family and that person to be able to um, knit, like your example, because that was just so relaxing. They loved mm-hmm. it. They knitted all their grandchildren's sweaters and right. blankets. And so we absolutely can look at those types of hobbies and activities and, and try to modify them mm-hmm. um, so that they can still bring enjoyment. And as as people progress through dementia, one of the things is taking those activities they really enjoyed or things they're really familiar with and trying to find a new way to engage them in that, mm-hmm. in it, even if it's not the way you would originally do it. So gardening is a great example. My mom's a huge gardener, so she, at some point she might not be able to garden anymore, but I can still bring the components of gardening mm-hmm. to her by doing potted plants or having her present, smelling the dirt, feeling the dirt, touching the flowers. Using those senses. Using yes. all those senses. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it might not be the way the activity was originally completed, but taking what they enjoyed about it to bring them to that place where they can remember that, yes, I like the way this yarn feels, mm-hmm. or I like to hold the knitting needles, even though I can't maybe actually knit them now. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, that is something we focus on, particularly in that late stage. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's so good for, for families to know, because as I'm working with families, they're so, they're, they're worn out, and they're mm-hmm. exhausted. Right. You know, I'll bring up, you know, um, modifying things and meaningful activities. And they're, you know, they're just like, you know, <laughs> I, I just want to put them in front of the TV. He, mm. he likes to watch TV for four hours a day or whatever. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, mm-hmm. but because that's just another thing for them to think about. So if they know that this, you know, uh, speech in, in occupational can help with some of these things as well and give them some ideas. Yes. Um, that's just really so very positive. Yeah. I, the, and I know I have said this before, there's so many things that we could talk about here, mm-hmm. but uh, one of the important things in either one of our role is health promotion. And so part of that is engaging in activities that are meaningful, such as leisure or hobby, as well as exercise mm-hmm. and diet. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking a lot about compensatory and remediation of things, but really there's that whole prevention piece, um, you know, and as you progress through dementia, you might not be as active as you once were. So how do we maintain that activity level so you don't get weak and fall or um, end up with nutritional issues because you're not eating anymore, only Mm -hmm. eating sweets or whatever it might be. So um, a huge piece of interventions is looking at that health promotion prevention piece Mm -hmm. as well, Mm -hmm. for sure. Sure. Well, let's um, let's take one more break, and when we come back, let's finish up by you know how does somebody get started? You know, and I'd like to hear a little bit too, just on um, you know, does their insurance cover this? Does Medicare? How how that works a little bit? So when we come back, we'll finish up with, with those questions. We'll get back to the podcast in a minute, but first, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Grace Home Respiratory. We're excited to have their support for the podcast because just like us, they're locally owned and operated. If you or someone you care about needs medical equipment or supplies, wheelchairs, walkers, hospital beds, portable oxygen concentrators, even CPAPs and BiPAPs, Grace Home Respiratory is right there to help. They're committed to helping you live a life of independence. They realize that shopping for the specialty medical products you need can be a challenge, which is why being locally owned and operated is key. They do everything in-house from their location right in Altoona. So if you have a question about billing or anything else, you know you'll be talking to someone from just down the road. 
Find out more about Grace Home Respiratory online at ghr-ec.com, or you can call them toll-free at 877-230-1622. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, so just a couple of last questions for both of you. So somebody is listening to this podcast and they're thinking, oh my goodness, you know, this would be great for mom or dad or, or my husband or whoever it is in, in their life. How, how would they, what's the first step they do? Do they call their doctor? Um, what would they do? Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about speech and occupational therapy here, but I think ultimately what a family member or person would want to request is it doesn't matter which discipline it is, as long as it's someone who's passionate about dementia care. Mm-hmm. And so wherever wherever people um, receive their medical care, whatever health system it is, you would want to start with your primary care provider and ask who would be best in your health system to help meet mine and my family's needs. And that might be speech and it might be OT. We all bring mm-hmm. um, some overlapping but um, great experience to the table and you want the person who has the passion for it, mm. regardless of the discipline. So absolutely, that's the first thing I would ask. But you're going to start with their primary care physician because you will need um, a referral for okay. um, either service, particularly if they're Medicare age. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. And and yes, they're, uh, it, both services are covered by Medicare, um, a lot of insurance companies as well. And everybody's insurance is different, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no blanket statement there on what the coverage would, would look like for these kinds of services. Mm-hmm. But do know that Medicare and your average HMO and insurance services, uh, Medicaid sort of aspects uh, do cover both occupational and speech therapy um, and a lot of times with wherever you're going to go or get your services through, whether it's, you know, a hospital base, a home health base, a skilled nursing facility base, a private practice base, whatever, mm-hmm. um, that that agency is going to check with your insurance mm-hmm. and they're going to let you know what kind of coverage, if there's a co-payment, if there's, you know, any sort of um, a a part of it that you would be responsible for. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's just about starting that conversation, like Ann said, with your primary care physician first, um, and then going from there. Yeah. And some clinics now are offering cash-based services too. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to receive, um, additional therapy beyond what your insurance is willing to pay. I'm thinking more like the commercial products. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of places do offer cash-based services for relatively reasonable amounts. So depending on um, the individual's fa- uh, fi- financial situation, that is also an option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, um, wow. We've really had covered a lot <laughs> of ground here in this yeah. short amount of time today. But I, I just really hope that uh, people that listen to this podcast will be um, interested and inspired and maybe even call their primary physician and maybe even providers might start including this in their conversation with um, with folks as well. So I just want to thank both of you, Anne and Laura, for talking with me today on this very important topic. Thank you. For thank sure. You for thank you. This is Tom from Volume 1. Thanks again to Lisa and to her guests, and thanks to you for joining us for the Journey Ahead podcast Aging Well in the Chippewa Valley. 
Volume One presents this podcast in partnership with the Aging and Disability Resource Center of Eau Claire County, and it's all made possible by Grace Home Respiratory and All Star Elevator and Mobility Solutions. Learn more about this and our other podcasts at volume1.org.